That's it. Let's, uh, let's get into Scripture. If you have your Bibles, if you have your phone, uh, digital version of it, we're going to be in 1 Peter, and we're in chapter 5, and we're almost done. This is going to be kind of the last-ish message, maybe. We'll see. Um, kind of top secret on that one. You'll find out next week. Uh, but we are wrapping up this little section, um, and we're going to talk about leadership. And so I'm going to read this passage, and we're going to talk about kingdom leadership, just so you understand kind of where we're going with it today. Um, and we'll spend a few minutes reading some passages. We're going to look at Peter's life. We're going to look at a really embarrassing moment that I had when I was a kid in Germany. And, uh, and then we'll draw some conclusions as to like what leadership looks like, all right? So let me, um, let me pray, and then we'll read 1 Peter 5, 1 through 11. He's just talking about leadership. So, Lord, thank you for uh, time together um, as a family, as a community. Um, centering around your word, Lord. We want to continue to learn from you, Jesus, what it means to be um, people uh, that are distinct, that are set apart, um, that are called for a purpose. And, um, and we recognize that that transforms not only our lives, but it begins to transform our community. And so help us to live that out. Help us to not just hear these words, um, but to live into them. And so uh, speak to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. So... Um, I can't remember if I put it's in the it's in the slides. If you want to track on the slides, if you want to do that, if not, open up like a U version or if you have an actual Bible, let's cruise through it. So, verse one: To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, also who will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because of this. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that it may lift, up, that may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your fellow believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering or challenges. Um, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, making you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. All right, so this is the last teaching that he throws in this letter as he's writing to a group of people who are in a community that are being challenged by, um, by their faith, basically, by the community that's like convicting them or challenging them because of their faith in Jesus. And so now he talks to leaders and says, leaders, here's what I want you to do. And he really lays out what it looks like to be a leader. And so you might be sitting here going, well, I'm not a leader. This is just for you, Nate, because you're up there and you're a leader and you're talking. So I can just glance over that and just say, that's for Nate, that's for Carissa, that's for Matt, that's for people that are up front. Not true, okay? So when he says elders in the very beginning there, he's talking about those of you who are older, not 
old geezers, but he's saying like older, wiser, having experienced more of life than the younger, okay? And I'm glad that we're all, we got all the generations in the room right now because there's something about time, right, that teaches us things. There's something about experiences that as we get older, we get wiser. But here's the caveat. How many of you guys know somebody that's older that's not necessarily wiser? You don't, you don't have to raise your hand. Don't blow your cover. Don't, don't call anybody out, okay? But we all know that, that exists, right? So what I want to call us to is we all need to be in this place of continually becoming older and wiser, right? Continually learning from the experiences that God puts in our path and the, the things that we encounter on a daily basis when it comes to our faith, when it comes to just walking this out. And so... Um, when we talk about leadership, I could just sit here and just rattle off a bunch of leadership kind of quotes and heavy things that you can Google. There's all kinds of famous leaders. Um, maybe you've heard of people like John Maxwell. Anybody heard of that guy? Okay, like the guru of leadership, if you get into that. Um, Seth Godin, Jim Collins. You guys heard of Good to Great? It's a book you kind of have to read, I think, in college. I think, I don't know. Okay, just me. Um, uh, Stephen Covey. Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Like, we could rattle all that stuff off. You probably know a lot of this stuff. You're like, I know what I should be doing. I know those things. I've heard those things before. Um, It's good to engage in that. But here's the thing. I think there's something core to this passage and core to what Peter talks about that's different than just, like, truths about being a great leader, okay? I think what he calls us to is not how to build great organizations because nowhere in there does Peter tell them as leaders of these churches, you got to have a great website, a great media presentation that's on screens in a room so that people can see it and be like, wow, that's awesome. Um, he doesn't say that you need to have like good Google search going on online. Like he doesn't say any of that stuff. Obviously those things didn't exist. I'm joking. But what he focused on was something different, right? And what did you hear as he started rattling off what a good leader should be like? Did the word humility start to come up? Did the words where he starts to talk about um, eager to serve, not pursuing dishonest gain, right? Like putting others before yourself. He says, God opposes the proud. So he focuses on character. He focuses on the heart of a person, the heart of a leader, rather than here's the things that you should do, right? All about core. It's all about the heart. And that's what I want to talk about today, because I think that we can do all kinds of stuff, but unless we know the why, we won't do it, right? It's why people have, and I say people myself, have like treadmills in our homes and weightlifting things to hopefully work out someday, but I don't do it right? Like, I can have all those things, but not do it, right? Like, as leaders, we can have all those things. We can say, like, I wake up at 5 a.m. every day, but I don't do anything with it, right? Like, I could have all these, like, disciplines in place, but not actually live into those things and know why I do those things. So I want to talk about the why, not necessarily the what or the how, okay? So Peter learned the why in this conversation, okay? So John chapter 21, the very end, Verses 18, we're going to pick up, and this is, oh, I got cut off, sorry guys, Um, but I'll read it. Um, This is a conversation between Jesus and Peter after Peter had failed miserably, okay? 
That's all you got to know. That's the core of it. Peter, as a leader, failed horribly as a disciple. He, he basically disowned Jesus three times, like one of the most extreme things you could do as somebody who says, I love Jesus, to say, I don't love Jesus three times, right? Um, so, like, he'd really messed up. You could tell his character, his, like, his heart, everything about him was just broken. And here's what Jesus says to him. Watch this. Okay. Jesus asked a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was deeply hurt that Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? Lord, you know all things, he replied. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I tell you, when you were young, you dressed yourself and walked where you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said, this is to indicate the kind of death which uh, by Peter would glorify God. And after he said this, he told him, follow me. So again, he doesn't tell Peter, go, make an, go get an awesome church building Go, like, have a great logo as a church. Like, make sure everything's really shiny and cool and, like, have it very attractional. What he said was, follow me. Like, obedience. He said, when you were younger, you did the things that you wanted to do. Now you're going to do the things, like, someone else is going to clothe you, he says, right? And you're going to go to places that you don't necessarily want to go to. And he says that because I don't think any of us at times really want to do the things that stretch us or challenge us, right? We don't want to do those things that sometimes we know are good for us, but yet we don't do them. It's like when someone's really rude to you and very abrasive, what's your gut response? Mm, distance, like I'm out of here, don't need to deal with you, right? But what Jesus says and what he's kind of telling Peter is, you're going to do things that you don't necessarily want to do sometimes. You're going to love people. You're going to be challenged in ways that before you didn't, your natural response was to leave those people or leave that situation or flee that situation the same way Peter did three times before, right? What you see now is Peter being developed in a way to say, okay, my life used to be, my agenda used to be about me. Now it's going to be about Jesus. And he's completely shifting that. And that's why he says at the very end, those two words, what does he say? Follow me. You can't see it on there. Sorry, that was a pop quiz. Um, he says, follow me. He just says, follow me. Like, it's such a simple phrase, but he's like, that's what he calls him as a leader to do. Like, this is leadership. Follow me. Be obedient to the things that I'm calling you to, and things will actually be really good, because the things that Jesus invites us to, they're not, he's not trying to, like, make life difficult for us, right? Like, when Jesus says, love your neighbor, he's not doing that to be like, Ha, this is going to be funny. It's going to be really difficult for you to love your neighbor because they're a jerk to you or whatever it is. And yet, we all know that that's really good for us. That when we put others first, when we begin to love people unconditionally, there's something that happens in that dynamic that is really good. And so there's this like moment where like Peter's learning his agenda versus God's agenda. And he's learning that he has to begin to die to himself, right? Like that Paul talks about. He says, I die to myself and I begin to take on Christ more and more each day. And so that's what he's calling him to and that's what he's pushing him to as a leader. And that's why Peter writes this when he writes these things where he's like, to the elders, to those of you that are leading the church. Um, he says, 
surrender your life to this. Like, begin to be people who are eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, right? Being a witness of what it looks like to love the way that Jesus loves. So this is kind of the why of what we're all about. Good leaders are teachable and recognize who God is in their lives. The leaders that I look up to are people that I see that genuinely love Jesus, that aren't trying to create, like, they're not trying to write another book. They're not trying to create, like, the best podcast. Like, they're people that just genuinely love Jesus, and you can see it in their lives. You can see that they genuinely love following and pursuing the heart of God and everything that they do. And there's something about that that is true, right, that is good, that we all would say, that's authentic, that's real, it's not fake, it's not advertising, it's not some kind of like get-rich scheme, like it's nothing, it's all about Jesus. It's because they've died to their own agenda and said, I'm all about Jesus' agenda, I'm about what he wants to do. And, um, and I think this has to do with discovering more about God's heart for us, um, than our own ways. And I think that comes from this time of reflection in our own lives and recognizing the why. And I want to show you guys a video from a guy like that as a leader I, I respect. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but um, he has just a good insight into what it means to understand the why in your life. Maybe you've heard of this guy, um, Simon Sinek. Anybody heard of him? Okay, maybe a couple of you. Um, but I want to show you this video because he asks the question and it gives some like good insight into understanding in your life why you do what you do, like what motivates you, okay? So check out this little two-minute clip of why, and that begins to help us understand why we exist and what we do, okay? Check this out. All your friends you love. Uh, the ones who you know that if you called them at three o'clock in the morning, they would answer the phone. And if they called you at three o'clock in the morning, you would be there for them. Do not do this with family. Do not do this with siblings. Do not do this with your spouse. It doesn't work. Those relationships are too close. Do it with the friends you love and ask them the simple question. Why are we friends? And they're going to look at you like you're crazy because the part of the brain that controls feelings and behavior doesn't control language. In other words, it's hard to put into words. Ironically, you stop asking the question why, because the question why is an emotional question and it elicits emotional responses. Like you ask your kids, why are you home late? Shut up, dad. But if you say, what were you doing that you're home late? They'll answer the question, right? So you, you, after your friends say, I don't, why are you asking me this? You switch to what questions? Come on, what is it about me? What specifically is it about me that I know that you would be there for me no matter what? And they're going to hem and haw, and it's going to be very difficult for them, and they're going to struggle. Don't help them. Don't let anybody else help them. You have to let them go through the uncomfortable process, and you have to play devil's advocate. So they'll say things like, I don't know. You're funny. You're smart. I can rely on you. And you say, good. That's the definition of a friend. You have that with all your friends. What specifically is it about me that I know you would be there for me no matter what? And they're going to go through this process of, and you're going to say, good. That's the definition of a close friend. What, you're going to keep, keep at them. And eventually they'll give up. Eventually they'll give up and they'll stop describing you and they'll start describing themselves. And this is what my friend said to me. They said, I don't know, Simon. All I know is that I can just sit in a room with you. I don't even have to talk to you and I feel inspired. 
And I got goosebumps. In fact, I'm getting them right now, right? So what they did is they articulated my value in their lives and I had an emotional response. So you'll get to the point where they'll say something that you will either get goosebumps or you're well up with tears or something will happen. You will have an emotional response. That's the part of the brain, the limbic brain that controls those emotions. You won't get the exact words of your why, but you'll get in the ballpark. And my friends, what you'll find is if you do it with multiple friends, you'll get very similar, if not the exact same answer, because the value you have in their lives is the same. It's you. So that's a fun way to find your why. Better. Finding your why, because then you operate your life out of a why. So I love those insights of like beginning to discover like they articulated my value in their lives and had an emotional response, he says. They had an emotional response because they articulated what you value, the things that you care about. And when you begin to value these things and when you begin to really take on like the mission that God's made you for, people will go, what? They may not, like he said, they may not know how to articulate it, but they'll go, that's awesome. That, I love that person because of what they do for me and how they begin to, like, how it begins to trickle into my life. Um, and just look around the room, and I can see many things that I see in you guys that I experience because of your gift and the way that you serve God. And so Peter's values went from self-oriented to God-oriented, like completely centered around what God wants to do. And that could be through art. It could be through the job that you live that you live in on a weekly basis. It could be the family that you live in and the way that you love your kids. It could be all these different ways that, that God works through us. But until we know what God is doing and working through us, then we're just kind of going through life and just taking situations as they come up. But as we begin to have that purpose and we go, okay, I know my purpose is this, this, and this. And I can't tell you that. That's why I can't prescribe what good leadership is right now because you'll take on those things and you'll go, Nate told me to do this, this, and this, and you're doing it because Nate told you to. Not because you love it and are passionate about it because you believe that God's called you to do that very thing, right? I'm going to put Andy on blast because I know that he loves art and I know that his art is a blessing to other people, right? Because he's found that thing that he's like, this is my purpose. This is what God made me for, right? And so when I think of like when he gets chills hearing that stuff, I get chills thinking about like what Andy's doing, right? And how like God works through us in these ways that begins to transform not our life always, but other people's lives as well. And that's beautiful. That's where it's, that's where that like God-oriented life becomes a reality and becomes a really beautiful thing to live into. So, um, he goes on and, and essentially just talks about this idea of humility and what it means to be these kind of leaders, young and old, that we're called to live into this. There's this humility that we're invited into, this way of life that we're li- invited into. And he does give that little bit of a prescription in verse 2 where he says, not pursuing dishonest gain, eager to serve. And I think that ties into our why because then we begin to go, okay, I'm going to do things not because I want to make tons of money, because we all know that that can fall flat pretty quick, right? Um, But I'm going to do things for honest gain, not dishonest gain. And then I'll just trust that God's going to work through that, right? And then the second part of it is he's like, serve, right? What does he say? Eager to serve. 
eager to serve. And that's what it looks like to then be these kind of people who, which in the next slides is like, we follow. We follow out of that obedience. We work in those opportunities to serve. We recognize that as we're following Jesus, that he's going to take care of those needs. Like if we have a a moment where it's challenging, it's difficult, where we're like called to like give generously in some way, or we're called to give of our time, our energy, our mental headspace, whatever it is, that then we can trust that Jesus is going to work through it and go, okay, this is good. I know it has a purpose. I know my why, and it's going to be good no matter what, right? And the outcome, we leave it in God's hands. And there's something really, really energizing about that. And so, um, I want to talk a little bit about like that dishonest gain and what that looks like in leadership. Um, so we as a church, um, you might not know this if you're newer, but um, ever since we planted, we've been very involved in Haiti and a ministry that uh, our friends, uh, the Ducloses and Tim Hickson started. And, um, and their heart was to serve a community in Haiti and, and really make a lasting impact, right? Like they're their, their slogan is Partnerships for Lasting Transformation. And so when they initially went into Haiti and when we started going, a lot of you went and we went and served and helped like on the ground as well as financially. We sent money and resources, water filters, which you guys still have been a part of. Um, and one of the things that they've always said is like, we want to make a lasting difference. Like we don't want to just step in and like give someone a cup of water, although that's part of it. But we want to teach them what does it mean to be a community that doesn't require any kind of outside help that's like has longevity to it, right? And so we've been investing, investing, and we're now at this place where we're like looking at like how do we have a lasting impact even when we're gone, right? Like if so suddenly like last year where none of us could go to Haiti, what would it look like for them to continue to thrive? And what it looked like was investing in leaders, Investing in leaders and not just giving them cliche phrases of like, you know, don't seek things for dishonest gain, like don't just worry about money, although that is one of the biggest problems we have is like as we give them money and resources, that can start to taint their leadership because they're like, well, I'm going to do it for money because I'm starving and I need this money and my family could use this money for all kinds of stuff. So dishonesty creeps in really quick. And so I share that because we're all like, we're pretty transparent about these things and we, we talk about it and we're always thinking through like, how do we invest in these leaders that helps them handle finances honestly, right? How do we invest in them to like create a thriving church community, like even just the community that they live in that like continues on without our intervention? And what we've discovered is, I'll show you guys a little clip of one of the things that we're learning is that Tim Hickson invests in these leaders through conversations and through relationship. And we see our friends that do closes who are locals there, um, the way that they interact in relationships. Sorry, it's probably not working. I messed it up maybe. Um, but it's a picture of Tim standing with a bunch of leaders uh, or a clip. And um, woven in this conversation that I'm sharing with you guys is some of those leaders don't exist anymore because of their fall of leadership, because of financial dishonest gain because like how money will just like enamor us like our own agenda will enamor us like it'll distract us it'll keep us like locked into sin or distracted with other things that don't matter 
But when we get caught up in Jesus' agenda, the way that Tim and the way these other leaders invest in people and have these conversations, something really beautiful happens because then they stop caring about the financial gain. They stop caring about um, doing things shady or underhanded. They start to have this integrity, right, because of these relationships and the trust that's built. And so when we talk about leadership, I think the most important thing is understanding that like, it comes out of a trust and a relationship that's built with people. And the ones, the leaders that we've seen that have survived and that have continued to pursue what it means to be like a faithful Jesus-following leader there were the ones that are in tight relationship with each other. They're not perfect, but they're in tight relationship where they're growing together and learning together and saying, yeah, I messed up, but let me keep moving, right? Um, when Jesus says, follow me, I think that that's a big part of it is investing in relationship, investing in people, and it might get messy, it might be difficult, it might take a really long time, it might take 10, 20 years, but that's what really lasts. Handing somebody a sheet of leadership rules or leadership skills, what do you think that does? Maybe temporarily they'll be like, okay, I'll, I'll live in these rules and I'll follow them, but ultimately like it's deep relationship and knowing people and trusting people and trusting that Jesus is at work in the midst of it that's going to last forever. Um, so, my experience, because I can't speak for other leaders, I don't want to throw anybody else under the bus, but my experience, growing up, I lived in Germany for a couple of years, and this is a story that shaped my leadership and my understanding of um, trust that's given, okay? And um, one morning, my mom said, I think I was like in fourth grade, which is crazy. Like, I think about, like, sending my daughter to the grocery store. So my mom said, here's 20 marks, which is like a German dollar. They call them marks. Um, here's 20 marks, and I want you to take your bike, and I want you to go get milk, bread, and a f eggs, and a few other little things. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll do that. And so she handed me the money, and I hopped on my bike, and I started riding with this little basket that I had on the bike. And I remember riding to the store, getting to the store, getting all the groceries and getting to the counter and reaching my pocket, and the 20 was gone. Imagine how that felt. Like, I, my heart sank. I was like, oh. not only am I standing in line and don't have a way to pay for this stuff, but I'm, I've lost the money. Like, I've lost 20. To me, it was a lot of money, right? Like, when you're a kid, like, 20 bucks is a lot. And I remember that sinking feeling of, like, I let my mom down. Like, I messed up. Like, I shouldn't have done that. And I remember riding my bike home because I couldn't pay for it. I just put it all back. And I remember riding my bike home, and I remember getting to my mom, like, just being like, I'm so sorry, like, I messed up, like, I, I lost the money. And her response, like, when we talk about, like, the Jesus kind of leadership and the way we want to invest in people was beautiful because I still remember it. She was like, it's fine. It's okay. Like, here's another one. Try again. And sent me on my way. And that was, like, a moment where something clicked where I was like, that's the kind of person I hope I should be, and I'm just learning this now, like, as I'm 40, turning 41 this year. Um, like, looking back, learning, like, my mom was teaching me leadership. She was teaching me what it meant to be the kind of person that shows grace, that shows patience in the midst of failure, and I think that as we, as a church, invest in one another, and as we invest in our children, and our families, and our neighborhoods, like, we need to have that same kind of grace. And I think sometimes money is held a little too important to us, and we lose our mind over 20 bucks, right? My mom didn't lose her mind. She was patient with me. She was like, here's another one. Like, try again. 
And I think that that's the kind of people we need to be. That are like, okay, here's 20 bucks, try again. And I learned, like I, I learned in that process, like it didn't go in my back pocket, it went in like the little pocket, so I made sure it wouldn't fall out while I'm riding my bike, you know? And I learned those things through the failure and through that process. And what I want to say in just like a condensed version of like, what is leadership? I think that's it. I think it's learning to be those kind of people and being that kind of church that extends that kind of grace, that shows that kind of love and that kind of patience with people. And I think that that reflects the heart of God. The same way that Jesus sat with Peter, like I can relate to Peter when he failed three times and was like, Jesus, you know I love you. Like, Mom, I know you know that I love you, but I messed up, you know? Uh, why don't you believe me? And no, like Jesus' response was, okay, I do believe you. Like, follow me. Like, get rid of your own agenda and begin to take on my agenda. Get rid of the things that you think are so important, like the 20 bucks or whatever it is, and take on this new agenda of just serving and being this kind of loving person. And so um, just want to end with a couple of questions of like, will we step into this process of leading like Jesus? Like, can we be those kind of people? And that that may, be, may not be like a pastor like me up front. Um, it may be in your family as a mom, a dad, as a coworker, as a whatever. Like all the different places that you're all in. We're all in different places, right? Um, but will we step into that process of leading the same way Jesus would? That when people fail you, will you go and be that kind of person that's loving? They'll just say, like, okay, let's talk about this. Because I think that's how we develop leaders that, that are quality, that have integrity, that... Um, that'll be that next generation of leaders that we can, we can trust with very important things like finances, right? They're important, but they're not everything. Um, and will we be teachable like Peter? So there's two sides of that. Like, will we be those kind of leaders as well as will we be teachable when we mess up? Will we be willing just to eat humble pie and just say, I lost the 20 bucks. Like, I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Like, I didn't love you as I should have. I didn't take this as serious as I should have, whatever. But um, have that humility to say, okay, I'll follow you. Because we shared a couple weeks ago the next few stories that Peter had after this conversation with Jesus. He's walking into the temple and he's healing people. And he's like, I don't have any money, but like what I do have is the Holy Spirit. Stand up and walk. And the guy's healed, right? And he's out just talking and, and sharing the name of Jesus. And thousands of people's lives are being transformed because he's like, it's not my leadership anymore. It's Jesus. I'm going to work I'm going to allow him to work through me, and that's it. And so I pray that we can be those kind of people. Let's pray, um, and let's go be that. Lord, um, thank you for Peter's life and, and these stories and how we see not just Peter's letters that are written, but the Gospels and how, Jesus, you interacted with him and restored his leadership and his life, and, and ultimately you restore us. You invite us into um, a restored relationship with you, and then you also you want to use us this week, today even, this afternoon, to be people who show that grace and that restoration to other people. And so work through us, uh, however you see fit, as we move into uh, the rest of this day and the rest of this week. Um, may we just be centered on you. Lord, I know there's so many distractions and so many agendas and things that we get wrapped up in. Lord, help us just to be wrapped up in you, Jesus. We love you, and we know that ultimately life is the best when we surrender our lives to you and you alone. Um, so... Make us those kind of leaders and help us to learn continually what it means to be like you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you have any questions about the things that we're talking about or if you want to talk further about it, 
uh, we have life groups during the week, and we would love to get into those conversations or just have a meal together and talk about life. Um, and so I would just invite you that if you want to connect with a life group, put that on your Connect card um, or just reach out to any one of us leaders. Talk to us after church right now. Um, we'd love to have you be a part of that. So um, this discussion doesn't end here. It's continually unfolding and growing, and we're, we don't ever want it to be just a, oh, we did 30 minutes of Bible study and we're done. It's just This is just starting our week and the things that we love and we care about and want to continue to grow in. So this is our benediction that we read out as we uh, go into the rest of this day. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Let's share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of every single day. Grace and peace as you go into the rest of this afternoon.